It's good to be with you again this evening in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3 the apostle Paul said but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ that passage of scripture is but one of many that so vividly encapsulates for us the reality of the of the spiritual battle that we are engaged in it is a battle for the soul it is a battle of the mind it is a battle of ideas and Paul's point simply is that he recognized that there was a possibility that our adversary in all of his deceitfulness might deceive and might trick these Corinthian brethren to turn their back away from Christ. He would go on in the chapter to say we are not ignorant of his devices and that's true. We fight a battle but the end result has already been determined. The devil has already lost and he knows that reality and we could argue I think that that may very well be why he fights so hard to try and destroy as many people as he can in the process. Well, this morning we looked at Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The command to be strong, the command to present ourselves before God that we might be strengthened, that we might receive the strength, the power, the capability that God can give his people but then he tells us in verse number 11 in the first part of the verse how that happens. He says, put on the whole armor of God. The idea, of course, is to be a fully equipped soldier because a soldier that is not adequately prepared to go into battle is one who cannot fight in a successful way. Well, this evening as we continue looking at this context we pick up in verse number 14 where the Apostle Paul now will elaborate on what that armor is, uh, in, uh, what that armor is exactly. I want us to look at the different components of the armor of God this evening from Ephesians 6 verse 14 and following. Let's see if we can get an understanding of what each one of these things, uh, of what each one of these things is and see if maybe we can look down into our own lives and determine whether or not these things are present. Look first of all at Ephesians 6.14. He says, first you need to stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. Having your loins girt about with truth, the image here really is of a belt. And the Roman soldier's belt actually could be argued was the most important part of his armor and here's the reason why because it was the belt that kept all of the other pieces of his armor intact it was the belt that kept everything in its place and so therefore it gave the soldier the confidence to be able to move and to fight in an unrestricted way so that he might be able to execute his mission so when we're talking about having this belt of truth if you will notice that it is Truth. What does it tell us? What are we to learn from having a belt of truth or having our loins girt about with truth? First of all, it tells us that the truth of God's word is the very foundation of this armor that God tells us to put on. 
I want you to go back with me earlier in the book to chapter 1, verse 13, and notice what the, what the Apostle Paul said about these brethren. Ephesians 1, verse 13, he's talking about Christ, and he said, in whom, that is, in Christ, you also trusted after that you, after you heard the word of, of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. I want you to notice what he says about the truth and what he says about the gospel. He tells us that the gospel, which is the good news of salvation in Christ Jesus, he says that the gospel is the gospel of your salvation. In other words, salvation comes as a result of your obedience to the gospel. But then he uses the word truth. He describes the gospel as truth. And he says, look, you trusted in the truth. You obeyed the truth. That's the idea. There is no obedience without first hearing and believing the truth. Look at chapter 4 and verse 21. In chapter 4 and verse 21, he says, If it is the case that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former manner of life, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It has been the case, that's really the idea of the grammar, it is the case that you have heard Christ and that you have been taught by Christ and that the truth is in Christ. And because that is the case, he says, here's the foundation for the next thing. Put off the old manner of life, the old man, the old way of living which is corrupt and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, putting off the old and being renewed in the spirit of your mind is founded upon the reality of having been taught and having obeyed the truth, Ephesians 4 and verse 21. We have our belt of truth. We have our loins girt about with truth. It is God's, uh, God's word is truth, and it is that truth that sanctifies us and separates us from the world, John 17 and verse 17. What is it that makes us different from the enemy that we fight? Well, one of those things is the truth because sanctification has to do with distinction. Sanctification has to do with, with separation. And as children of God, we are to be distinct and to be separate from the world in which we live and from the enemy whom we fight. The Bible tells us that truth is that thing that makes us different, but truth also purifies us. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Truth saves us, James 1, verse 21. Truth builds us up, Acts 20 and verse number 32. Truth redeems us, according to John 8, verse 31 and 32. So what does that tell me? That tells me that as a soldier in the army of God, I have to believe the truth, I have to stand on the truth, and I have to be willing to practice the truth in my life. I have to be willing to go to the source of truth, which is the Word of God, and study it and learn it and determine. Let it help me determine the difference between right and wrong and then apply that which is right to my life so that truth is found living in me. Look at the next component of the armor. Go back to Ephesians 6, verse 14. He says, I want you to stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and second, having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate. This, of course, is the part of the soldier's army armor that covers his body from neck to waist. It is that part of his armor that covers and that protects 
all of his vital organs. And why would Paul, or what, what point is Paul making when he describes this breastplate as being a breastplate of righteousness? The idea is, the idea is holy living. And the application is that we protect ourselves from the devil's attacks by living right. I want you to put your bookmark in Ephesians chapter 6 and turn back with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. We're not going to read all of this, but I want you to notice a point that the Apostle Paul makes in the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He is talking about his ministry in this context and I want you to notice that, that he says, look, we are we then, verse 1, as his workers together with him, we beg you that you do not receive the grace of God in vain. And then skip down, verse 3 and following, he says, look, we're not going to give offense in anything, and the reason why is because we don't want the ministry to be blamed. In other words, we don't want our job as apostles and preachers of the gospel of Christ we don't want our role and our service to receive the blame. So what do we do? Look what he says. In all things, we approve ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and affliction, necessities, distress, stripes and imprisonments and labors and watchings and so on and so forth. He goes on, verse 7, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and the left, by honor and dishonor, as unknown, verse 9, yet well known, as dying, and behold, we live, and we're chastened, and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. There's a lot to be unpacked in those 10 verses, but here's the point that I want us to see for our study tonight. What Paul is trying to get across to these brethren is that the, he didn't want his ministry, his role of service to receive a bad name or a black eye. And so therefore, in verse 4 and following, he elaborates on how he's conducted himself. He elaborates on the things that he has suffered as a minister of God. And the point is, I have conducted and I have carried myself in such a way that no one can look toward my service or my work as a minister, as a, a gospel preacher, if you will, and, and blame that work or that office. When we talk about having the blessed breastplate of righteousness, when we talk about holy living, the idea is that our vital organs, if you will, are protected by doing what's right. Our livelihood as children of God is protected by living in a way that is right and that is holy. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24 and following. We looked at this briefly this morning. He says, you need to put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. And if you remember from this morning, one could make the case that from this point forward all the way to Ephesians 6 verse 9, Paul is unpacking and elaborating on what it means to take off the old and put on the new who is created in righteousness and holiness. And so therefore, when he finally talks about being strong in the Lord and putting on the whole armor of God, you could make the point that he is simply just... Uh, that he is simply just capping off or concluding everything that he said from chapter 424 all the way to this point. Holy living, right living is absolutely necessary if we're going to be effective 
as soldiers in the army of God. Look at the next component. We talked also about this this morning. Look at verse 15. He says, Your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier wore reinforced sandals to give him better footing for the battle. And that, of course, is necessary to be able to withstand the blows of the enemy who seeks to knock him over. The Roman soldier stands next to his fellow soldiers in unison, but when the enemy attacks, their primary goal is to push them backward, to help them lose their footing so that they can break the united front of soldier. And so how is he going to protect himself from being knocked backwards, from being pushed over? The answer is that he has to have a strong base. His feet have to be protected. There are two things that we ought to glean from our feet being bound with the gospel of peace. Number one, the gospel will help us to stand firm. Do you remember last Sunday night when we looked at Psalm 119 and verse number 42? One of the things that the psalmist said was going to happen, he made this statement. He said, let your mercies come unto me, O Lord, even your salvation according to your word. And he says, look, here's what's going to happen so shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Remember that David said, Lord, when your salvation and when your tender mercies, when they come upon me, I'm going to, number one, I'm going to have the ability to answer my enemies. I'm going to be able to speak the truth and I'm going to be able to give an answer to those who are slandering me and who are persecuting me and who are saying those things about me that are not true. That's the idea of Psalm 119, verse 42. Remember 1 Peter 3, 15. Peter says, when you are persecuted, he says, don't be afraid. But he says, rather, sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to him that asks uh, of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Peter, what are you telling me? Well, I'm telling you that you don't need to be afraid when the enemy attacks you. Rather, you simply need to stand firm on the gospel and give a defense, give an answer as to what you believe and why you believe it and why you live the way that you do. You see, the gospel is, is the foundation that we stand upon. It's that which helps us to stand firm, and it's that which will enable us to be able to give an answer to our enemy. But here's the second thing that should be considered with the fact that, that this armor consists of our feet being, being shod or bound with the gospel of, uh, gospel of peace. And that is that we ought to take the gospel everywhere. You know, this isn't the only time, it's not the first time even that the gospel is associated with feet. Go back and read Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7, and then go read Romans chapter 10, and you'll find uh, some familiarity there. The Apostle Paul is referencing Isaiah chapter 52 when he says, How shall they call on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? And here it is, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel and who bring glad tidings of good things. He's quoting Isaiah 52 in verse number 7. You see, this image of the gospel being tied to our feet, it reminds us of the fact that we're constantly moving, and as we move, the gospel moves. As we go, the gospel goes. We take it wherever we are by living it out in our lives, yes, but also by speaking it. 
by teaching it and by proclaiming it in every area and at every opportunity that we have. Our armor consists our armor consists of the belt of truth. The truth is that which ties it all together. And as soldiers in the army of God, we have to believe the truth and we have to stand on the truth and we have to practice it. It also consists of the breastplate of righteousness, holy living. Our willingness to apply God's word to our lives is that which will protect us from the devil's attack, our integrity. And then it consists, number three, of our feet being bound with the gospel of peace. It is the gospel that helps us to stand firm. And it is the gospel that that goes with us wherever we go. Next, I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul talks about the shield of faith. He says at the end of verse, uh, excuse me, he says in verse number 16, above all, he says, taking the shield of faith by which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. Our shield of faith is that which protects us from the enemy's attacks. The Roman soldier had a shield that was large and it would be made of wood and it would be covered with very tough strands of leather in order to protect him from arrows and spears and a number of other things that the enemy would use to try and attack him. And so the emphasis of the shield of faith is simply this, that our faith is that which protects us from the bullets, if you will, the darts of the wicked one, the the devil. It protects us from things like discouragement and defeat and a number of other things. Remember what John said about our faith in 1 John 5 and verse 4. He said, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we know that that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to them that are called according to his purpose. You see, there is a knowledge that we have as children of God, our faith, our confidence, if you will, that everything is going to work out okay. Again, that we're in a battle, but that the battle has already been won. The victory has already been declared. And so, Are there times in which maybe our faith is challenged? Yes. Are there difficulties in life that that push us? Yes. Are there times where maybe we deal with discouragement? Yes. But what the Bible tells us is that as soldiers in the army of God, we take our faith and we use that to protect us against all of those things that would discourage us and dissuade us from fighting the good fight of faith. Our faith protects us. Number six, there is the helmet of salvation. Verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation. I want you to notice with me, I want you to write down actually 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8 and Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 8, listen to what Paul said. He said, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What is it that Paul means when he says that we have the the helmet of salvation in Ephesians 6 verse 17? I think he's explaining it in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, our hope of salvation. Again, connected to our faith and to our, our confidence in the future and our confidence and our knowledge in the fact that everything is going to turn out all right. But here's something else I think that comes to mind whenever we're talking about the helmet of salvation. Would you look with me at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 11 for a moment? 
And in your Bibles or in your notes, I would encourage you to connect Colossians 1, verse 9 through 11 to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16, which we looked at this morning that had to do with being strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. If Ephesians 3.16 is a what passage, then Colossians 1.9-11 is a how passage. It's a passage in which God tells us how we are strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. And I want you to note this is another prayer of the Apostle Paul. He says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord and all-pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Christianity is a thinking religion. Notice that the basis of, of this prayer, according to verse number 9, is that the brethren at Colossae know more of the will of God he wanted their minds to be full of God's word. And he says, the reason why I want your minds to be full of God's word is so that the items of verse 10 and 11 might become a reality for you. So that you might walk the worthy walk. So that you might be fruitful in every good work. So that you might grow closer to God. And so that you might be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Verse number 11. All of these things are connected to growing in a knowledge of his will, as he mentioned in verse number 9. So when Paul tells us that we need to take the helmet of salvation, there are two things that come to mind. Number one, it is our hope of salvation that sustains us. But number two, we grow in our knowledge of God's word and we learn more about our hope. And it is that knowledge, it is that knowledge that helps us to think right and that knowledge uh, that helps us to learn more about our hope, which sustains us and which motivates us. Look at the seventh thing. He says in verse number 17, I want you to also take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is noteworthy, I think, that this is the only offensive weapon that is mentioned in this list of the components of the armor of God. He says the sword of the Spirit is God's Word. Do you remember what the Bible says about itself in Hebrews 4 and verse 12? The Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and that it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, we're fighting a spiritual battle, and what God wants us to understand is that the only weapon that he's given us, and it is more than enough, the only weapon offensively that God has given us is his word. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 36, uh, uh, 36 and 37. The Bible tells us on that occasion that when those Jews on, uh, at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, when they heard the preaching of Peter and the rest of the apostles, the Bible says that they were pricked in their heart and they asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Let me ask you a question. What was it that pricked their hearts? What was it that brought them to the realization that, as Peter said earlier in the chapter, they had been guilty of murdering the Son of God? What was it that brought them to the realization that there were changes that needed to be made in their life, that they were not right with God? It was the preaching of the Word of God that pricked their hearts and brought them to the point where they realized that they had changes that needed to be made. 
where they needed to obey God and be right in his sight. You see exactly the opposite, by the way, in Acts chapter 7 and uh, about verse number 54. Stephen is preaching to a group of Jews and these Jewish men have no interest at all in listening to him. And he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart, just as you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your fathers did, so do you. And what he meant by that is, you are resisting this word, this knowledge, you're resisting the preaching of the gospel that the Holy Spirit provides, that he inspires. You see, rejecting the word of God, Stephen says, is equivalent to rejecting the spirit of God. Now, here's the point. Stephen was preaching the gospel, but they rejected it. Stephen was using the weapon that God gave him, and that weapon cut and that weapon pierced. The problem was not with the power of the weapon. The problem was with those who refused to receive it. So as we go about fighting this spiritual battle... Our weapons are not carnal, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, but this weapon that we have, the sword of the Spirit, the Bible says that it has the power to conquer every thought, it has the power to conquer every philosophy and every tradition and every thought of man, and it says it has the power to bring those thoughts into the captivity of Christ. You see, not only is the victory assured... But we are also assured that the weapon that God has given us, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and that the armor that God has given us in order to protect ourselves, we know that those things work, that they will be effective. God said in Isaiah chapter 55, My word will not return unto me void. So whenever we're engaged with the enemy, We don't speak our own opinions and our own thoughts. We simply say, thus says the Lord. Here's what the Bible has to say about that matter. Here's what God has to say about why we should or shouldn't do that. Here's what God has to say about why this is or is not that way, about how we should think or how we shouldn't think. Here's what God says. The sword of the Spirit, the the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God and we need, to, we need to use that sword. And we need to learn how to use that sword in a way that is proper. We need to learn how to handle it correctly. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15. And make sure that when we use the sword of the Spirit that we are making precise and impactful cuts with it. The armor of God is something that, it's that which God gives in order to equip us to be able to fight in a way that is effective and be able to win the victory that certainly is assured to be ours. I want you to notice one more thing that Paul says and then the lesson will be yours. Look at verse number 18 because it's connected with everything that's come before. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. I want you to notice that the word, uh, that the idea of praying is something that really is a summary to everything that he has said going all the way back to verse number 10. This whole process of being strong in the Lord by putting on the armor of God and engaging in the enemy, this whole picture that he has painted is tied together, if you will, with the ribbon of prayer. 
He says, I want you while you're engaged in this battle and while you're seeking to grow in your strength, I want you to always be praying about your battle and about this spiritual warfare. And particularly, he says, verse 19, I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray that utterance will be given unto me so that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We ought to be arming ourselves with the armor of God, but we ought also to be praying that God will help us to be strong, that God will help us to be convicted, and that God will help us to have courage to put on his armor and to take up the sword of the Spirit and then to go into battle and engage the enemy. You know, one thing that we need to realize as we bring this, these thoughts for the day to, the, to a close is that God does not necessarily expect us to sit back and always be on the defensive, but rather God expects us to be offensive. God expects us to engage the enemy. Think about Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11. The Bible says, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Rebuke them is the idea. Uh, bring them to light. Show them for what they really are. That's offensive. That's being on the attack. And brothers and sisters, we ought to be on the attack more than we ought to be on the defensive. We ought to be going out into the world and using the sword of the Spirit to attack the false ideas and philosophies and traditions of men and expose them for what they really are, and that is lies created by human beings. God, give us the courage and the strength to be able to do it. Tonight, the Lord's invitation is offered, and maybe there's someone here tonight that, that has the, the need to respond to the gospel, perhaps to become a Christian, to uh, put on your Lord in baptism. We stand ready and willing to help you in doing that. Maybe tonight you are a Christian, but as you think about putting on the armor of God, you think, you know what, I haven't really been an active soldier in the army of God. I need to do more. I, I need to... Uh, I need to uh, stand up and be counted. Can we pray for you? Can we give you some encouragement? Whatever needs you may have, we invite you to come forward and let us know while we stand and sing together.